Hi everyone, welcome to the Renaissance Project, a Black girls movement. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Chase Clark, and I'm thrilled to have you join me on this journey of liberation and conversation. Hi family and welcome to another episode of the Renaissance Project, the Black Girls Movement. I am your host Chase Clark and I'm here joined today by two phenomenal women. I'm so excited to have you both here because you both fight so actively for your place and for your community. Um, Without further ado, we're going to hop into the conversation and I'm going to have both of you introduce yourselves. I'm going to start with Aunt Kathy. You would start with me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kathy, known to you as Aunt Kathy. My name is Kathy Porter. Um, I was born and raised in Birmingham. I've been living here for over 30 years now, so this is now my home. have two sons, grandson, um, and that's it about me. <laughs> I am so excited that you invited me today yes, ma'am. to be a part of your renaissance project that you have going on. <laughs> How could I not? And moving on to you. Yes, um, I am Zitobile Numala. Most people call me Zitty. Um, I was born in Swaziland, which is a little country on the border of South Africa. And my family came to Greensboro when I was four. And so this is where I grew up. Left for Atlanta for a few years and ended up coming back. So I'm really honored to be here. Perfect. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Perfect. Of um, and y'all are both so humble because I look at y'all so highly because y'all both do amazing things for my life and for the lives of others so I'm so thrilled and happy to have you both here so thank you for both introducing yourselves and we're going to get right into the questions and I'm going to start with you again okay. <laughs> so to start this series I had a conversation with my brother Landon and my dad um, we talked a little bit about stereotypes but to begin the whole conversation um, Landon and I took like a stroll down memory lane and we went back to that trip we took to uh, Alabama a couple years ago um, and so I wanted to know for you, what are some of your most vivid memories growing up in the Deep South, somewhat in the midst of the Civil Rights Movement? Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me, um, in the midst of the Civil Rights Movement, which took place around the Civil Rights March in Birmingham, took place around 63. That's the year that I was born. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty much a baby. Um, growing up um, around maybe 1969, 70. I had my first experience uh, with racism on a personal level. Mm -hmm. Um, That's during the time of schools being integrated. And so my generation was the first generation to integrate the schools. Um, And I was walking home from school. I I forget why I was alone that day, because we normally walk together. Mm -hmm. But that day I was walking home alone and I noticed this car following slowly behind me. And then it pulled up beside me. And there were a bunch of white teenage kids um, in the car. And they start calling me names. Of course, they called me the N-word. and They spit at me and stuff like that. Um, and I was afraid because I didn't know what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. But they continued to call names and then they went on their way. Mm-hmm. Well, that made an impact on me. Right. At six years old, of course, um, being afraid, not knowing what's going to happen. Um, that stayed with me, mm-hmm. you know, during my lifetime. Right. Uh, also in middle school. Um, I don't know if you remember the movie Roots. Mm-hmm. That was a miniseries. It was a documentary that was done by Alex Haley. Okay. And he traced his roots back to Africa. And that movie came out. And that was the first time we saw exactly what went on with our ancestors. And it caused a lot of anger. And because we had already gone through 
different uh, situations, uh, racial injustice, seeing our parents go through it. There was a lot of anger there. So the next day when we went to school, there was an incident that happened between a white student and a black student. And from that, everything just exploded. Mm -hmm. We as black students, in our minds, we were going to make them pay for the trauma, the torture, all of the pain that they had caused our grandparents, our parents, us. And we took it out on them. The police had to be called. Um, that was a very vivid incident. Now, as an adult, thinking back, we were 12, 13 years old, but we were filled with so much anger at the time right. of what has taken place. And so that stayed with me. And so growing up, I had a strong dislike for white people because of my experiences, my mom's experiences. And I had to kind of deal with that mm -hmm. because I didn't want to walk around with that hatred in my heart mm -hmm. um, because love overpowers hate, right? Amen. And so <laughs> the Lord is really something because he placed a white female in my life. She was a white woman that I met and I never deal, before that time, I never would interact with anyone white, but she changed my life and she changed my way of thinking. And that led me to believe, okay, not all white people are bad. Not all are racist. Some are, but not all are. Right. And so it kind of changed my life right. in the way that I was, you know, began mm -hmm. to think. I didn't know that about you, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now I want to know, from that perspective, having grown up with that kind of hatred, um, what was your perspective or view on the riots that took place within this summer? The riots, I understood it. I understood it reflecting back on the incident from middle school mm -hmm. and the anger, the rage that we had. Right. Um, so I understood why they were tearing up things. Not that I condone that because it's wrong and I would never do that today. Mm -hmm. But I understood mm -hmm. because of the anger and because of what they have dealt with for decades. Right. All of that, sometimes it implodes. It just, you know, it takes over. Right. And so you react out of that anger. Right. That's not the way to handle it, but I understood it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was just curious to know, because from that point of view, um, but Miss Diddy, you share a similar uh, sentiment as an immigrant, right? Mm -hmm. um, which comes with its own amount of um, adversity on top of being a black woman. So I was curious to know, do you have any stories of adversity um, living as an immigrant, but also living as a black woman? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you get it from all the angles, you know, right. like when we first came to the United States, I was put in a, a preschool class where I was the only black student. Mm -hmm. And so the white kids were making fun. But then when I was around black students, African-American students, they were the ones calling me African booty scratcher. And right. so there's been this tension, you know, mm -hmm. having to just find my place in all of that. Right. And it's like the root of all of it is just ignorance about each other, right. you know, um, which is what makes me so passionate about doing everything I can to, to knock that down. Cause even in that class where I had some students who were making fun, my very first American best friend was a tall blonde haired blue eyed girl named Emily. Mm -hmm. And I just celebrated her 40th birthday with her a couple days ago, you know, like wow. that is a friendship that has sustained over time. And mm -hmm. so, 
I I love what you said about learning about people. When you learn about people in real life and when we take an honest look at things, the people who have been the kindest to me look all sorts of different ways, you know? And so I really, I I care a lot about operating um, with people as individuals and knowing, you know, who it is that they are. Right. 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 And I agree with both points. Um, And in a previous episode, my mom and I discussed a little bit uh, lightly about what it was to be a black woman in America. And I'm curious to know from the both of you, whoever feels led to begin, um, what are some words that describe your experience as a black woman in America thus far? Um, I would say black women are resilient, Mm -hmm. um, persistent, strong, courageous, beautiful, amazing, powerful. Those are some words that I would use to describe black women. We're multifaceted. Right. Um, We're, most of us are leaders, you know, in our homes. Mm -hmm. Um, We are the glue that keeps everything together. Yeah, no, I would definitely co-sign with everything that you said, but it's interesting because when I heard the question, the first thought that I had was, it feel it feels like a really it's been a confusing experience for me. Right. It's like I know those things to be true now, but it feels um it has felt like I've gotten a lot of contradicting messages. And what I mean by that is like, you know, be um be strong, but not too strong, you know, be, uh, approachable, but not, um, don't let people knock you. You know what I'm saying? Like there are just so many different messages and different expectations about who it is that we're supposed to be. I just had a conversation with two of my guy friends earlier this morning and we were talking about like, even on the, the dating scene, it's like be chast, you know, be the prim and proper, Mm -hmm. you know, womanly type person but then there's this hypersexuality and the expectation that comes through me you know and so the fight to really be who you are and own who you are um, and not be kind of tossed around by all the different expectations that's what I would say right and that's interesting real yeah yeah Mm -hmm. because I echoed some of those same points on that episode Mm -hmm. um just kind of speaking to some of my white counterparts like I think the question my mom asked me was, um, what makes me different from them as I do live in like the suburbs and go mm-hmm. to a predominantly white school? Um, and basically what I was saying was that when I walk out of that neighborhood, like they don't know where I live at. They just see this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having to navigate around, you know, those contradicting messages. And I think it's like magnified times a thousand just because of social media and then those conflicting messages are at you 24-7. Um, you're seeing the Kamala's and the Michelle Obama's and they're like, you know, you can be this. Um, but then you also see a lot of the other girls too and you're like, well, this is what is selling, you know, this exactly. is what. And so it's like, so yeah. where do I find my medium? And then at mm-hmm. the end of the day, how do I become pleasing to me um, mm-hmm. out of all of that? Um, So I agree with your sentiment. I do that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So from there, I'm sure you're both familiar with the trope of the strong black woman or the angry black woman. And I was curious to know, do you um, both or either ever feel like a certain pressure to kind of debunk or fall into those stereotypes in your daily life? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, 
I don't feel like I feel pressure. Mm -hmm. I feel a responsibility Mm -hmm. to carry myself as a black woman, to carry myself in a certain way because Mm -hmm. I represent the community. I represent my family. I represent my mother. And I, most of all, I represent myself and God. So I feel a responsibility to carry myself in a certain way. I don't feel pressure from anyone because I, what people say about me does not define who I am. So I could care less about that. Right. But I do want to carry myself to make my community proud, to make my family proud. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't want to do anything to demean myself. I want to always be graceful and classy, Mm -hmm. you know, and intelligent. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. When I think about those phrases, one of the other ways that like we've been conditioned, well, I've been conditioned, I'll own it myself, (laughs) (laughs) is like strong black woman good like that's a good thing and then angry black woman is a bad thing mm-hmm. um but as you know again as i've like gotten older my anger serves me really well sometimes you know right. and um it is like walking that fine line because you know how other people perceive you in right. anger but i'm like going for freedom and anger is a real thing you know so i need to have freedom to be angry and black and a woman like we all should have freedom to be angry it's how we express it um and then freedom to not be strong you know Mm -hmm. that's i don't always want to be that Mm -hmm. like what normal person always feels like strong all the time right i don't always feel that and i want to be okay not being that right And I was about to say, I don't know how you feel about that. Um, We are not, I don't want to say we're not allowed, but I guess we feel like we're not allowed to show vulnerability. Right. We're not allowed to say, you know what, I need help or I'm having Mm -hmm. a bad day today. Right. I guess we always feel like we have to put on that face and keep it together. together. Right. Um, that's that strong black woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's so dangerous, um, especially for people my age growing mm-hmm. up thinking, well, I can't break down or, you know, it's going to cause hell for everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's a very dangerous stereotype, but I see it implemented in little ways, little ways. Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought it was interesting watching the, you know, special on Harry and Meghan mm-hmm. Markle. Um, and, you know, I always found it quite funny when I would see her headlines in the magazines and I'd be like, that's kind of, that doesn't seem very right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then hearing her talk about those little microaggressions that people were, you know, talking about all around her, she had to be the strong black woman. And in a way, her talking about her almost you know, feeling suicidal, I think in a way that broke so many people free just mm-hmm. because for the first time you're seeing a public figure um, who's suffering those microaggressions, you know, she's saying, I'm not strong all the time. I'm mm-hmm. a black woman and I am not strong all the time. I felt weak and I had a moment of weakness that almost led to my demise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that was really important for people to see the severity of mm-hmm this trope um, in active life. Um, But we're going to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about some of the issues we've seen throughout the past few years, some of which we've touched on on um, this show in separate episodes. 
Um, and throughout history, there's been this kind of evidence that blackness is not accepted in the societal view. Um, and I think that that's evident in the fact that there actually had to be a bill passed mm -hmm. in order for black people to get civil rights, which is kind of ironic because they're not always implemented as we can see today. Mm -hmm. um, and then black women further than that usually get the short end of the stick. And we saw that this year passed um, and the need for a hashtag to advocate for black women's rights, which I think is outrageous that in the year 2020 slash 2021, we still are having to constantly advocate for our existence, really. Um, and then from there, it's lightly, like I said, implemented in the way that we grow up um, from the fact that even in schools, you know, we have this zero tolerance policy, but in turn, it ends up that black girls are disproportionately expelled more than their white counterparts. Mm. Six times is the um, exact statistic for that. Wow. Um, so with all of these things that seem to be stacked against us, do you guys ever feel discouraged? And if so, how do you find ways to overcome this discouragement? Yeah, um, I do. I'm definitely, I definitely get discouraged, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I, faith is a huge part of my life, you right. know, and I've called God different things in a lot of different seasons of life. I've always studied spirituality in different veins and mm -hmm. so for me um one it's like allowing myself to work with the reality of what's going on um but then praying crying finding people i trust to talk it through and then figure out okay this might be the reality but what do i have control over and what can i do now you know um because if i really allow myself to give fully into the discouragement, you don't even want to be here. You know, like you were talking about Megan, like, what's the point, you know? Right. Um, but I, you know, I have on purpose, I have to find reasons to feel hopeful. Um, and like you, you give me hope. Y'all oh, give me hope. You. <laughs> you know, honestly, honestly, though. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what keeps me going. Right. Same with me. Um, I have a strong personal relationship with the Lord. And that's what keeps me going when I get discouraged mm -hmm. um, to be able to talk to a real close friend that I can trust um, and to be, just be able to unload and empty myself right. um, because we need that. Um, and so the word of God, that's what keeps me going. Right. And um, for me, over the summer, actually, when um, first it was Brianna, I think, and then it was George Floyd. I might be wrong on that scheduling, but they were close enough for me to feel really impacted by it. Mm. Um, and even though my brother and I, we laugh a lot about having been exposed to all these things. Like um, we talked, we were laughing about him being exposed to like a KKK robe at the age of three. <laughs> um, and yeah. so for a long time, I felt like, you know, stuff happens, but it doesn't really affect me. Like it was like, um, like Trayvon Martin, I felt it, but it was like, well, you know, these things, they happen and we've seen it over and over. Um, but with those two, um, it was different. And I mm -hmm. felt that when I saw when I saw the video, I think, of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery as well. And I came downstairs and I was with my mom and I just cried. And I was like, I had never felt that way before. I had never cried over that stuff before. Um, and what I was telling her was it was really starting to scare me a little bit because I felt so 
in a way conflicted because I was like, in a way, I feel desensitized to these things because mm-hmm. I see it so often. But I also feel so emotional because how is this still happening and why is this still going on? Um, and in a way, I felt defeated before any trials, any investigations even started because I was like, well, we know this is how this is going to end. Everybody's going to get off scot-free and it's just going to, we're going to go about our day. Um, and then even seeing the um, shows of activism um, with the black posts and then the marches, everything like that, it became like a lot. I was like, okay, this is real. Um, but even still, with so many people having their eyes on it, I didn't feel like this still was going to get us very far. Mm. Um, and so that was really hard for me, a truth to for me to come to terms with, because I was like, you know, why am I feeling this way? I think it's bad that I'm feeling kind of hopeless right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was trying to do my part in educating and talking to people, but it was still like, this is like a lot. And so I can only imagine for people who are younger than me and then people who don't have as many outlets as me, how they felt seeing that kind of stuff Mm. and then still having to go to school with a lot of the same people that we know are like racist and that we know do, you know, stuff too, but they don't get expelled at the same rate that I do. Um, And having to, you know, see white counterparts and it was just like a, awkward kind of tension going on in the air and so for me it was just hard to kind of navigate that Mm -hmm. um but in turn that actually brought me a little bit closer to God which you know I've always been like God is my navigator but it's like okay now I really need you right now because I don't know what to do (laughs) um and this is further than like my human control and anybody else's human control so in a way while it was really negative circumstance I think that's usually what brings you closer to where you need to be than a positive um, circumstance. Mm. So jumping back into the questions, um, my question is, what kind of changes would you guys like to see on a broader scale in terms of moving forward? Um, I would like to see, I feel like everything that's going on today, the atmosphere that we're in with the racial injustice, um, I feel like we've taken some steps backwards Mm -hmm. and it reminds me of the civil rights movement it's like we're going right back in that direction we should have moved forward yeah by now Mm -hmm. um and so the change that i would like to see to take place um is not within us Mm -hmm. i would like to see our white counterparts take accountability and acknowledge the racism right acknowledge that they view us in a different way because that's a fact um, and I think in order to make that change, we have to have hard conversations um, with our friends that we have that happen to be white. Mm-hmm. Start having conversations. And it's going to be uncomfortable, but I think it's necessary mm-hmm. because change can't take place until you acknowledge there's a sickness here. Right. There's an issue here. How are you going to change something that you don't acknowledge? We cannot change that. That has to be on their end to change right. it. And I had a similar uh, conversation with my friend Soleil um, some time ago, um, but it was when the you know movement for the Stop Asian Hate was going on, and we both came across a like news story. I don't remember exactly who it was from, but it was talking about what African Americans can do to stop this crisis, and 
I felt a little conflicted because I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, this is it's not, not our, our thing. But, right? you know, and then on the same sentiment, I was like, well, now I kind of feel bad because I'm like, well, I can't just leave them out to dry. Like, we're both minorities together. But I was just still kind of like, this is not like black people. Like, black people at large aren't going out and committing mass hate crimes um, and maybe they are, and they're not reporting it. But from what I see and from what the stats show, it's not black people. So I would say that, like, a lot of um, the people that go to my school and then people who don't go to my school that I was following or I see them do certain things, they have their little highlights on their Instagrams about Black Lives Matter. But I'm like, how many of y'all really was like stop and say you know this is a problem that I acted I actively need to go and eradicate um and then from there a lot of their you know parents grandparents still have the same mentality so I'm like so what are you doing you know mm-hmm. to help this within your family because to me if you're allowing your family to do it and continuing this it's like kind of contradictory but that's just my my two cents on that so what do you think about the question Yeah, well, I would agree with you. And I would say, um, for me, if I only think about what someone else has to do in order to make things better for me, that leaves me feeling hopeless. And so what I would really love to see us do is like focus on getting our minds back. Mm -hmm. Um, I am in that generation. I'm like um, an older millennial. Okay, Mm -hmm. so like I grew up before social media and have seen what life was like before that and after that and that social media has had a significant impact on the ways that we view ourselves on our mental health I just really think that we are so many people are so gone like the walking dead like we're not thinking for ourselves any longer. We're not connecting with like nature any longer. There was a time when people could get clues about what was coming just by their connection with like rain that was coming. You know, there was this yeah. huge storm last night. And I just like to lock in during times like that because I just, we've become so like severed from ourselves, you know? So that's what I would love to see is more. Um, people and programs who are willing to dig into that and get get our minds back mm-hmm. so that we can, you know, begin to come up with our own solutions. Right. Yeah. And I agree with that, too. That's a good yeah. sentiment because I never thought about it like that either. Um, but on that same tip, one thing that I would like to see change as well is changes within our educational system. Mm. Um, because for me, that's like where this starts. Um, being a student, I realized last year when we went when we weren't at school as much I realized how much time like I actually spend at school Mm -hmm. and more often than not I spend more time at school than I do with my family Mm -hmm. so I'm like in a way you know we say our parents are kind of responsible for our upbringing but I would also like to say that our teachers and the faculty in which we are at school with that whole school environment is kind of you know plays a big factor in our upbringing as well Um, So, you know, going over and reading about the school to prison pipeline and things Mm -hmm. like that and certain policies and laws and rules that are discreetly in place, but in place nonetheless, that um, undermine and discriminate black people and black girls more disproportionately. It's crazy to me Um, just thinking about, you know, at school dress codes. um, 
how if a white girl who may be, you know, a little bit skinnier wears something that a black girl mm-hmm. wears the same thing and then you're dress coded, you have a in-school suspension, you do it twice, you're out of school. Mm-hmm. Black guys, you know, we're not giving them resources in school to learn how to manage their anger correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, number one, recognizing that they have a reason to be angry because a lot of them don't have resources at home. A lot yeah. of them don't have parents. They don't have, you know, food at home. So just to, you know, be like he's always angry and he's always fighting Mm -hmm. um, and then not give him resources on how to learn and how to fix this actively going forward and to just kick him out of school, which in turns like messes up his whole future. It's like our educational system is broken and we as the people, you know, we're not doing our active duty our active role as citizens to ensure that we're getting the right people in there and educating ourselves Mm -hmm. and I want to put that on on education too because I don't think we should have to wait until we're 18 and then it's time to vote so we have to go to social media which we know is a cesspool of different opinions (laughs) and facts and you don't know what is what Mm -hmm. so I'm like if we don't have our educational system straight we're not going to have a, a bright future mm-hmm. at all. Um, and I think that's something that other countries recognize much more than we do as Americans. Like other countries, we spoke about this lightly, but other countries put it in their budget. They make it a point that education is top priority. And here it's like, well, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But we have to, you know, have good jobs in order to survive. And if you don't, then you're just out there. And Mm -hmm. then they wonder why we, you know, some black people resort to selling drugs or they have to, you know, do unsavory things and meet with unsavory characters just to make it by. Well, it's like, well, why, (laughs) you know? And I think that's all rooted in the educational system that we have in place. Um, And that was my little spiel about that. (laughs) I totally agree with you on that because a lot of countries, they have free education. Right. Whereas we have to go into debt to pay for education. Right. And and I will say, not to sound sinister, but I think that they do know exactly what what it is. And I think that it's done intentionally. And I think that, you know, the, the people who do work in marketing and PR, they understand how psychology works with people. They understand that, you know, a child who sees certain images like over and over and over again, what that does to that young mind. And they understand that when teachers are so influential, yet they don't get paid enough, they know, you know, that's why privatized prisons even exist. They make money off of the, the, um, the, product of the educational system Mm -hmm. it's just they don't care and that i think that's the harshest reality you know that has shifted a lot of how i even move about the world is like it destroys that sort of naive nature yeah Um, like wow it really is jacked up and people there are people who really don't care yeah and that's the yeah that is the scary part just understanding well and I guess that is why, you know, some people are so apathetic towards voting because they're like, well, whatever I do, they're yeah. not going to care anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, while I understand that, and I do understand that, I I do. I would accredit most of our, our downfall to the, well, I guess we're not going to go into conspiracy theories. 
Um, but Sorry, I no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, but um, conversely, we talked about what on a broader scale could be done. But I'm curious to know um, what you think within our African American culture here. What do you think that we can do better on um, moving forward to see to you know in turn be the change that we want to see? Mm-hmm. Um, you you want to well, go? <laughs> my main thing is focusing on African-American women because I think that we're the most undervalued Mm -hmm. um, and we're the most disrespected, the most neglected. Um, And so the change that I would want to see, for instance, and and you may agree or disagree, but when the Black Lives Matter movement began, Mm -hmm. it began when we saw the police brutality with our black men, right? But we also saw police brutality with our black women, Mm -hmm. but there was no uprising. We do not hear about the numerous amount of black women that are subjected to police brutality or that's gotten killed by the police. We hear of um, Rihanna Taylor. They just start saying her name. You know, and so she's called traction, right. which is an awesome thing because it needs to be a light shed on that. But what about the Sandra Blands? What about the Tatiana Jeffersons? What about the Pamela Turners? You know, what about those women that we don't hear of? It's a lot of them. There's no light shed on those lives. Right. And those lives matter as well. And, you know, even growing up with my mother, my mother died of cancer. Where my mother exhibited symptoms prior to the cancer, you know, destroying her life, she went to the doctor. They didn't listen to her. They dismissed her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I came, she lived in Birmingham. I lived here. When I went to Birmingham, I saw her deteriorating. I knew something was wrong. I take her to the hospital. She's telling the doctors about how she's feeling. He's dismissing her again. And I had to be assertive enough to say, you need to listen to what she's saying. It's obvious something is going wrong. Look at her. Mm-hmm. And I had to insist that he run tests on her to find out what's going on. He ran the test because I pressed him to do so. And we found out that she had breast cancer. But by that time, it was in her bones. Mm-hmm. It was nothing else left for them to do. She died. And so my thing was, if you had to listen to her because she was elderly, because she was black, you didn't listen to her. Um, And Serena went through the same. Serena Williams, Mm -hmm. she went through the same thing. They didn't listen to her. She almost lost her child. She almost lost her life. Mm -hmm. A lot of black women lose their lives in childbirth. Right. Astronomical numbers, more so than our white counterparts. So there's a problem there. And so I feel like we need to value black women in society. And we don't, but we have to start with ourselves by caring ourselves in a certain way, not tolerating disrespect because we put up with a lot of stuff. Mm. So we have to start with ourselves, making a change within ourselves, caring ourselves in a respectful way, not tolerating being called names, hip hop community. What do we call bees and hoes, right? Mm. I don't see them calling white women bees and hoes. White women get respect. We do not. That's how I feel. So I feel like we as a society need to start valuing not only black lives as a whole, but don't forget about us black women. Right. I agree. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I agree a thousand percent. Um, I the music thing that was the first thing that came to mind. It's like God, I know I keep harping on this media thing, but I really believe that. I mean, it literally is like global hypnosis. What we get mm-hmm. through these little right. devices, you know, yes. and and the people who kind of control what comes through those airwaves. Um, that that is a thing, you know, it's and so thing. how do we? detach ourselves from that how do we you know um start to even acknowledge it and i i don't you know we have a local radio station that even when i was a teenager i just was like something's not right you know because there are so Mm. many young people that are listening and internalizing these messages and i see the outcome 10 years 20 years later right it I mean, our reality is just, it's so influenced by what's coming through the airwaves and the sound waves. So until we control that um, and we we turn that ship around, yeah, it's not going to be good. Right. Right. And that's something I didn't think about as I was rapping to one of those songs.
go out and educate themselves. Like you said, they just rely on what's shooting through the airwaves. But what we've seen is like, if your algorithm is set up correctly, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to see any differing opinions, just what is accustomed to you to keep you on the app. Um, So I do think everything is connected together in a way um, that makes it so black people are continuously held down or held back. And I think that the biggest change we need to make is number one, recognizing that fact Mm -hmm. and then making the changes within ourselves. So putting your things together, making the changes within ourselves in order to move forward as an individual and then try to find ways that we can collaborate as a collective to move forward as well. Mm. So we're on our last question. <laughs> we're on our last question. Um, and on a brighter note, I want to know who are, in um, the spirit of our running thing, who are your top five Black women inspirations? And you can go over. We've gone over this whole um, season. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would have to say my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the first woman um, that inspired me. Um, I admired her beauty, her strength. Um, her tenacity, resilience, all of that. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I would have to say Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. Um, she was so many things, you know, a leader, speaker, um, trailblazer, freedom fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she she led the regiment in the Civil War. So right. when she died, she had military honors. Like, I love that. Um, mm-hmm. Michelle Obama. Um, Bessie Coleman, the first African-American pilot. Nobody really talks about her. Um, and Chase. <laughs> Clark. Absolutely. Oh, you inspire me does. as well to be such a uh, young person. You're very dreaming, driven. You're very ambitious. You know, you don't let anything overcome you. You're the overcomer. Mm-hmm. You know, you face things head on. I'm sure you face challenges. But you go over those challenges. You go around those challenges. You go through those challenges. So, you're resilient as well. Um, very inspirational. Thank you. I want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I want to be like you. <laughs> All right. Who are yours? Yeah, I, I have a gazillion of them um, because, you know, I just, I like anybody who is able to just like keep going and stay yes, true to themselves, right. honestly. Um, what I studied in school was authentic leadership theory. Mm-hmm. And the reason I studied authentic leadership is because I just dig anybody who is themselves. Cause I really do believe that like women who are able to be themselves in the midst of all this other stuff yes. that tells you who you're supposed to be. That is like heroism, mm-hmm. you know? So like you, like you, like mom, my own mother, right. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. My friend, Jill, my friend, Aisha, just being yourself, you know, and just continuing yeah. to fight for that. I'm super inspired. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And I'm going to try to condense it down to top five. But like I said, this whole season we've gone over. <laughs> um, yeah, we've gone over. But I would have to say my top three spots are taken up by my mom and my aunt and my grandma. Um, um, because all three of them are so strong to me. They're just like the epitome of determination. Mm-hmm. I often laugh at my grandma because she is such a neat freak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that really is, um, I don't know. It's admirable to me that she would go to such great lengths to get her goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what I've taken from her. And then my aunt, she's always taught me about how to present yourself to the world. 
Um, and when I was little, I'd just be like, no, if they don't like how I look, then they don't need to be around me. Um, but she's definitely showed me how just, you know, different pieces, different things you wear, different how you present yourself. Mm-hmm. It can, you know, drive, it'd be driving sports and your success. And then from there, also, I love how hard she works. Um, me and her have been like, conjoined at the at the hip um mm-hmm. because she's been staying with us over the quarantine so I've actually been able to see how hard she works and um one day I walked in her office and she was like can you take a call for me I was like no <laughs> <laughs> and so you know she was like doing her emails and like taking the call and I was like oh this is too much um and then going downstairs um and seeing my mom work and uh, one day, just hearing her having to go back and forth with the, somebody on the phone, I was like, it could never be me. I can't because <laughs> my patience a little. Um, but then seeing how that same day she gets off work, she works with my dad, takes Landon to basketball practice, takes me here, do this mm-hmm. for me, takes me to work, comes back home, picks me up from work, and then goes to sleep, wakes up the next day at 4 or mm-hmm. Um, on Thursday, waking up at 12 a.m. just to hear my podcast and get started at work. I'm like, how could you not like right. be inspired by that? So and then, mm-hmm. oh man, it's bigger than five. But and then all of my aunties, <laughs> all of my um, aunties, my extended family, all of y'all have been there from thick to thin, seeing mm-hmm. me grow up and like we were going through pictures and seeing. I don't think it was a picture that went by that I wasn't with one of y'all. Um, or I wasn't with my family. I'm always surrounded by good people who are, you know, have my best interest at heart. Even going back to, I was thinking about the other day, going back to how about every week I was at Build a Bear with my aunt Britta, my aunt <laughs> <laughs> getting a new, a new bear, um, and just thinking about how they cared so much for me that they would do that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is really why I give so much to others because so many people give to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people who aren't my family, I really love Diana Ross and Tracy Ellis Ross. Mm, one, because yeah. they're super fly. And then they're hard workers. <laughs> um, and then I love Tayana Taylor and Rihanna, because I think they're yeah. both like the epitome of Renaissance women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd also have to say that I really love Ida B. Wells as well, who I've been yeah. doing um, a little bit of research on. And just how multifaceted she was and such a driving force in the civil rights movement. Yet we don't you know, mm-hmm. hear about her yeah. that often. So um, I would like to put a campaign out that someone should do a movie on her right now. Um, And I think it might be me. I might do that. But But that's going to be the conclusion of our interview. So I'd like to thank the both of y'all for coming on today and having this important, uh, wonderful conversation with me. I learned a lot and I hope y'all learned a lot as well. I did as well. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. And um, to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you for tuning in to the Renaissance Project, a Black Girls Movement. Want to join the combo? Contact me via Instagram at the Renaissance P R J C T, or you can email me at the Renaissance. P-R-J-T at gmail.com. If you feel like to donate, you can do so by sending your funds to dollar sign Chase AC7 on Cash App. It is not required, but definitely encouraged. That's all from me. I hope to see you next Thursday. Until then, be well.